So, Larry, to get ready for today's show, I was reading this article from the BBC Online about how sexist language lingers in the workplace. Oh, boy, I'll bet it does. Yeah, but, you know, there were some surprising things in them. It was called The Hidden Sexism in Workplace Language. Mm -hmm. And uh, they started by talking about terms that are kind of objectively gendered. And these were put together. There's a Facebook executive named Deb Liu. She just started collecting phrases. Some are really old-fashioned, like gentleman's agreement. Right. Uh, that's been around since the 20s. But others that you hear all the time, sports-related, man-on-man defense, who's going to quarterback this. Uh, and then a lot of the others, they said, sound like a team of 1940s superheroes. You've got wingman and strawman and middleman <laughs> and right-hand man and poster boy. That's a lot, <laughs> it's, it's a lot of men and boys. And poster boy. <laughs> yes. But then uh, she noted that a lot of the female terms are negative. No one, whether you or me, wants to be called a prima donna, a drama queen, a mean girl, a Debbie Downer, or negative Nancy. Oh, wow. So that was interesting. I had never thought about that aspect. But the thing that really struck me is it said that their research also revealed that in performance reviews, women tend to receive feedback that's vague, like, you had a great year. Or sexist, such as disproportionate amount of comments on communication style. Mm -hmm. While men get clearer feedback about specific skills related to actual job performance. And I found this really surprising. Do you? I do, actually. The clarity surprises me a lot. The notion of feedback on something like communication and associating that with a gender, that's really interesting to me. Yeah, yeah. It was interesting to me, and I thought it's something... Everyone should be aware of whether you are the reviewer or the reviewee. So if you find that's happening to you by the person reviewing you, you might want to challenge that a little bit. Anyway, the author of this BBC piece, Mark Peters, he opens the story by writing this. Neanderthalic behavior, such as calling a woman honey or baby, is as out of fashion as cave paintings. (laughs) And that made me laugh, Larry, because just last week I was talking to a guy who closed our business conversation by saying... Thanks, sweetie. Great to meet you. Oh, no. (laughs) And that was last week, Larry. Last week. From Wondery, this is I Hate My Boss, workplace drama, comedic relief. I'm Liz Dolan. And I'm Larry Seal. All right, Larry, have you ever heard of a noisy resignation? I don't think so. I learned the hard way. I was serving on the board of directors of a company, Quicksilver, which is the surf brand. Sure. Must have felt like an honor. It was. Yeah. And that was the problem because it's not. It's Mm. a job. (laughs) And Mm. I was also the only woman serving on the board. And I know that it was one of the reasons why they were searching specifically for a woman. And so I respect that. About 18 months into it, I was in Washington, D.C., and I got an email saying, we're having an emergency board meeting in an hour. Can you join? Whoa. Well, no, I was going to be in the air. There was no way I was going to be able to join. So they said, okay, well, call this particular guy. I'll just call him board guy. Okay, so board call guy. call board guy when you land. The plane is in the air. I get on the Wi-Fi. I download all the documents about the board meeting, and I realize the board meeting is to fire the CEO, which is your number one job when you are a member of a board of directors is to hire 
and fire the CEO. And when I joined this board at Quicksilver, part of the reason I was recommended is because the CEO was a former colleague of mine at another company. And everybody knew that. And all of the board directors interviewed me about that. Like, if you had to fire him, could you? I'm like, oh, yeah, don't worry. Anyway, so now I'm on this plane and they're firing the CEO. To me, seemingly out of the blue. So this is shocking. I land at LAX. I get out to the parking garage, and the first thing I do is call board guy and say, I just got off the plane. Obviously, I missed the meeting. Like, what happened? Right. And he said, oh, don't worry. It's all done and dusted. I'm like, well, can you explain to me what actually happened here? Sure. And he said, well, we decided last week that we were not satisfied with the CEO's performance. So I had a conversation with this guy. This guy had a conversation with this guy. We just decided we needed to fire him. And the we is some subset of the board? It's not some subset of the board, Larry. The we was literally every other member of the board except for me. I'm telling you, if you want to insult me, don't worry, Liz. We took care of it for (laughs) you. (laughs) Probably the best way to do that, especially in this very high stakes thing. I said, I don't understand how all of this went on without my knowing. And he said, well, first of all, it was really important that this remain a secret. You know, we knew you would be conflicted because he's a friend of yours. And that's when I got really mad. But one of those mads where you're like, you're yelling, but you're crying and you're mad and you're stomping your feet in the middle of an LAX parking garage. (laughs) And I'm really just like totally dumbfounded at this point in my career where you feel like, okay, like I earned my way to the top here. We're all equals. We are peers. This is one big board of directors. There aren't good directors and bad directors or mega directors and mini directors. We are all members of the board of directors of this company. So like- This is what you got hired to do. Exactly. This was my job. So we had this conversation and I just could not believe my ears and I hung up. For the next, I don't know, two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, I tossed and turned so much about what had happened and why it happened. Sure. I thought, okay, what am I supposed to do here? Am I supposed to roll over and take it? Am I supposed to quit the board? Am I supposed to just go to the next board meeting and let them have it? Sure. So I started calling around to people in my network that I thought could give me helpful advice. I laid out this scenario. (laughs) They fired the CEO without telling me that they were even thinking about it. As I spoke to people in my network, but particularly the women I knew that served on boards, I got two different kinds of advice. About 50% of the people I talked to said, do not quit. That is just going to reinforce everything they think about you already. If you quit, it means you can't take it. You're too emotional. Do not do that. That's the worst thing you could do. You just have to stand and fight. And I remember one woman, even she served on the board of a big company, and she said, and I would say, if you can possibly train yourself to do it without crying, at the next board meeting, you need to really let, let them, them have, have it. it. Mm-hmm. But then the other half of the people that I talked to were like, are you kidding? Like, Why would you want to work with these people? They have shown you the ultimate level of disrespect. You are on that board because you are one of the leading marketers in the world. That's why they recruited you to the board in the first place. And they were lucky to have 
a director of your caliber on the board. Why would you take this kind of disrespect? Mm -hmm. And so, like, I weighed both of these things back and forth as I slowly got over my shock. But ultimately, I decided two things. I decided I was spending too much time thinking about how am I going to earn their trust? And then I had a light bulb moment where I was like, no, wait a minute. Why would I trust them? I mean, for for God's sakes. Like, they need to prove to me that I should trust them after they treated me in such an unprofessional and disrespectful way. And I talked to like four of the guys on the board over the course of Mm -hmm. those weeks too, just to try to understand like, how much time did you actually spend thinking about leaving me out of this conversation? Exactly. It's like I have a seat at the table, but my seat's inside a soundproof booth. So how did that happen? Right. And he said, Honestly, board guy said, well, we should probably just leave Liz out of this. It will be easier for her. Board guy said it, and none of us really challenged it. And Uh now that I'm talking to you on the phone, I can't believe it didn't strike me in the moment that that was wrong. I was like, well, I can't either. And so it kind of got me thinking a lot about Mm. just how automatic and unconscious some of these things can Mm -hmm. be. So I decided that, first of all, that I needed to resign from the board because I wasn't going to get over this disrespect. And I didn't want to be the stand and fight. But I also decided not to go quietly. And that's what a noisy resignation is. It means you don't go quietly. It means you go very public with why you're resigning from the board. Mm-hmm. And I had to talk to a lawyer about that. I oh, talked to bad. friends and family about that. But ultimately, if I had just quit the board and left, no purpose would have been served at all. So I'll admit it gave me great pleasure to, yes, I called the Wall Street Journal. Yes, I called the Huffington Post. Yes, I wrote a piece for Fortune magazine. Do not pick a fight with me, people. And that made me feel marginally better that at least sure. at least I could get it out. Yeah, there are kind of these default mechanisms out there, you know, what they call unconscious bias. I know we talked about mm-hmm. it in last week's show, but unconscious bias can be just something like that. Most of the women I know... You deal with this stuff your whole career. There, are, And I put it in kind of three three categories. One is the routine annoyances. Routine annoyances are the people interrupting you, the people calling you sweetie, the people, whatever that is. Number two are what I would classify as systemic challenges. An example would be like I was in a meeting one time and we were talking about who were we going to send to a new job in European headquarters? And somebody offered up a name of a woman I knew. And somebody else in the room immediately said, well, she wouldn't take that. She's got little kids. And people in the meeting started to move on to the next candidate. And I was like, whoa, I think it's her decision. If you think she's a qualified candidate for this job, and I agree, you don't get to decide that because of her kids. So stuff like that happens all the time. This is kind of the stuff that's happening underneath what's obvious. Yeah, I've seen exactly the same things. Oh, well, they've got a family. They wouldn't want to move. Well, what about the guy who's got a family? Yeah, exactly. Unconsciously, if you think, oh, well, I'm actually trying to do a good thing here, but you're holding somebody back in a way they didn't ask for. Yeah, and it's not a conspiracy. It is just kind of learned default behavior Mm -hmm. based on unconscious bias. Mm -hmm. And the third is the category of actual conspiracies (laughs) with this Quicksilver thing Uh. really was. That was really a bunch of people getting together and deciding the one female in this group can't handle this because she won't keep a secret and she would be too emotional. 
And I can't imagine they would do that to a man who was sitting there. Exactly right? my point. Well, we can't share this with Larry because... Yeah, Larry well, can't we, keep a secret. He can't keep a secret. And, you know, this could be really tough for him because he knows Bob. No, I know. When they said to me, well, you know, you know him from a past life, so we thought it would be too difficult for you. I said... You hired him. I would think it would be too difficult for you. Right. <laughs> You're the ones who picked him. Luckily, actual conspiracies, I think, are pretty rare. So that's why when I wrote my piece about this for Fortune, I sent the draft to my sister, Leanne, mm -hmm. who is uh, a magazine writer and a novelist, just to, you know, give it a pass. Sure. And she sent it back with some suggestions. And then at the very bottom, she said, stay noisy, Liz. And that's why I've adopted that as my personal hashtag. So that's my story, Larry. Now we have a woman coming in with her own tale. Liz Craft is joining us. She is a TV writer and co-host of two of the podcasts that I listen to and enjoy, Happier with Gretchen Rubin, Gretchen is her sister, and Happier in Hollywood, which she does with her Hollywood writing partner. So, Liz, well, I hope this doesn't get confusing having two Liz's. <laughs> <laughs> what are the specific challenges you think about being a female in the working world that you're in, in the Hollywood writer's world? Well, uh, a female friend of mine put it best. She said, women writers in Hollywood, uh, their voices are like dog whistles. Only other women can hear them. Oh, <laughs> and we say that all, all the time, sadly. I mean, I have to say it has gotten a lot better. I worked for a woman a couple of years ago. It was the first time I'd had a female showrunner, and it was this In all these years. You've been yes. out, what, 17 years, I think? Yes. Yeah. You know, and I absolutely loved it. They say women don't like working for other women, that there's a secret thing where we're really, you know, right. evil to each other. Not true. I think that's an easy story to perpetuate. I, I, I not found that to be to true. To try to pit us against each yeah, other? Yeah, exactly. I love being with other women. Like, I love being able to talk about my period or what, if I could say <laughs> that. You just reinforced all of the stereotypes about women that when left alone together, that's what we talk about, Liz. So thanks a lot. That's true. I just did. Well, it's true, though, isn't it? <laughs> but you worked on some shows that are some pretty macho male shows like The Shield and Lie to Me. So what were those environments like? Those were very different environments. To, you know, it just depends on show to show. But what's interesting is Sarah and I and Sarah Fain is my writing partner who I've worked with for 17 years. So we've been on through all these experiences together. We made a conscious effort at the beginning of our career to write a spec script, which is what we write to get hired. That was very um, edgy and male. It was a script for Oz, the show that it was on, the prison mm -hmm. show wow. that was on Love HBO. That show. And our thinking was, we don't want to get pigeonholed into people who can only be on Judging Amy. You know, mm -hmm. we want to be able right. to do it all. And it worked. And so that is the script, ultimately, that got us onto The Shield. But something happened there that sort of crystallized the sexism or the gender bias issue um, for unwriting staffs, which is in our first season, Sarah and I were called into the office of uh, one of the higher ups, one of the co-EPs. And he said, OK, guys, I want to talk to you because I feel like in the room and in the room is where we do all our work. That's where we talk about story. That's where mm -hmm. everything happens in the room. I feel like you two are really holding on to things like you can't let ideas go. You get, you know, I, the word hysterical might have been used. Probably not. <laughs> oh. Probably was in my head. Maybe it was shrieky, something like that. <laughs> And he's like, and you've really just got to be able to let things go because that's how the writer's room works. And we basically sat there and we said, we reject this criticism. We 
have to hold on to things, as you're saying, because we're not heard. We were the only two women on the show. And so we have to repeat ourselves numerous times just to have get our point across. And he was like, oh, okay, let me pay attention to this, to his credit. Mm -hmm. Um, And we went in the room that afternoon, and about three hours later, he called us back into his office, and he said, I take back everything I said. You're absolutely right. You're not being heard. I'm sorry, and I'm going to work on this, and I'm going to try to keep this from happening. And look, I love The Shield. I really don't mean to disparage any of the writers when I say this. It's just kind of how it is. But until people recognize and actually admit that women aren't listened to as much as men, the problem can't get better. So I appreciated that, you know, the problem was acknowledged. Just acknowledge it. Yes. Liz, did you and Sarah phrase this and kind of put it in a way that that made it get through in a way that it hadn't in the past? Um, I think it was a lot about him. I think he was open to the conversation Mm -hmm. um, and he really cared about younger writers. So he really wanted to hear what we had to say. But I also think that us just flat out saying we rejected the criticism (laughs) made an impact because it's not often that you make such a statement like that. Mm -hmm. But I think we were just so mad (laughs) that we just weren't going to roll over. I know on your show, Liz, with your sister, Gretchen, you give each other gold stars sometimes. Yes. I would like to give you a gold star for speaking that boldly to your boss, for rejecting the criticism, because that obviously worked for you. Thank you. Larry, you often talk about who really has the situational genius to say what they need to say at the moment. Right. But it sounds to me like Liz and Sarah did. Thank you. Yeah. And it's it can be scary because, again, you have to be in a place where you're allowed to speak. And there are shows where you're not allowed to speak. And I'm sure had we been on a show like that, we would have kept our mouths shut. You kind of know the difference. Sure. Well, and we can extrapolate shows to all kinds of workplaces. You work in a very specific workplace. But Some of the dynamics apply in other kinds of companies, in offices, in restaurants, in garages, like any place where there is a team of people trying to collaborate, those things apply. Sure. And in this case, it's it's women, young women writers being able to get their voice heard. In other cases, it can be just younger people in the room sitting around with people who've got 10 more years of experience and struggling to get heard. So, Liz, what are the informal networks you use in your career? Because obviously there is an old boys club around in any work environment. Is there a new girls club? Uh, Yes, I have a lot of mentors. Some of them are men like Sean Ryan, for instance, who created The Shield and Joss Mm. Whedon um, are big mentors of mine. As for a new girls network, there definitely is one. Uh, We female TV writers band together. I'm in various groups of women writers. At different times, we'll have sort of clubs where we get together and the plan is that we're going to talk about creative stuff, but we usually just end up complaining, which makes it really fun. Um, and we definitely look out for each other. And if you say you get a show on the air and you're young, people will call you and, and give you advice, other women. So there's definitely that support. And like I said, I found that women are actually very supportive of one another, not cutting each other down. Okay, this is a slightly crazy question, but it's related to how you get along with people in the workplace. I know you worked on the show Lie to Me. Yes. And Lie to Me was based on a lot of real science about how to know if someone is lying, how to read them, and 
Has that actually helped you in real life? Did you learn anything about emotional intelligence, about reading other people? <laughs> what do they call those micro expressions? Uh, yeah. Right? Aside from anything else we're talking about here, like what did you learn on Lie to Me? Yes. Um, God, I learned a ton on Lie to Me. And it was fascinating to talk to Paul Ekman, who did that research, because he had so many interesting things to say. I can't like think in the moment, like, oh, exactly, you know, what twitch of an eye means what, but for sure we got more attuned to body language, to realizing that most of what people are telling you, you know, as they say, is like 10% verbal, 90% body language. And I think that's really true. You know, I always go back to my favorite example when they say like Bill Clinton looked like a kid with his hand in the cookie jar when Mm -hmm. he was denying Monica Lewinsky. Mm -hmm. And I always think like if you can hone in on people's faces, like you really do know what they mean. And again, I think that's a very good skill in a workplace. I would recommend that anyone study that kind of behavior. It's sort of remember when we had Janetta on, you interviewed Janetta Wood from Ancestry.com, just about body language and right. how we can communicate better. And when Hernan was on as our guest, he was talking about nonverbal cues in the workplace and how sometimes you can send a message nonverbally and it's less threatening. Yeah. You know, it's so interesting because some people really seem to be wired to have what kind of great social radar, right? And it seems like other people just were not born with that skill. As I look at it, it's an acquired skill. You can learn to become more aware. And Liz, it sounds like you're saying the same thing as you begin to learn about it and go, oh, I can pick up on things I didn't before. But I think it's a real advantage to be able to read it. Yeah, I always say I have a sixth sense. Mm. Um, I said that before, lie to me, because I always feel like I can tell what's going to happen with interpersonal dynamics. And I think that's because I'm just very sensitive to social cues. So now I feel compelled to ask what you sense in this room. (laughs) Great success. Nice. Oh, Larry, that's the perfect segue (laughs) to where we wanted to go with Liz, because your podcasts are happier and happier in Hollywood. And our whole goal, even though we have the word hate in our title, not happy. Our goal really is to help people be happier at work. Can you give us like your top five tips about how to be happier at work? Absolutely. So number one is don't treat a gift like a burden. And that's like you're given this gift of a job that you theoretically want. Don't feel so overwhelmed by it that you start hating it. You know, I mean, like when Sarah and I will have a script to do and we're like, oh, we don't want to do the script. Oh, we don't want to do these notes. Oh, God, God. Um, We go, wait, don't treat a gift like a burden. We wanted this script. We asked to be here. We asked for this script. And that helps us stay happy. That's very wise. Nice. Okay. Another don't is don't drink the poison. If someone handed you a literal glass of poison, you would not drink it. So don't drink the verbal poison. If someone's coming at you negatively at work, just don't ingest, which is hard. That is a fantastic life lesson. It's hard, but it takes practice, as everything does. My third tip would be do have a treadmill desk. If you can. Do you have one of those? I do. Oh, I am totally coming by your office to try that. I have a treadmill desk. You do? That is leaning up against my wall. I'm the only one in this room that does not have a treadmill desk? You must get one. I got to get it down. Why was that such a good choice for you? First of all, I have to give my sister credit. She gave it to me for my birthday, which was the nicest birthday present ever. Um, She really wants one. So that's, she couldn't (laughs) fit in her New York apartment. So she got one for me. But one is, I'm type one diabetic. So it's important for me to 
you know, work on my blood sugar. So walking during the day helps control my blood sugar. But we've also found that um, if you walk like while you're having, say, an unpleasant phone conversation, it really helps keep you under control. And then also for us, it helps our creativity. So if we're talking about a story and you feel kind of lethargic and at post-lunch, you know, coma, you get on the treadmill and suddenly your energy picks up. Mm-hmm. And then no matter how badly the day goes, you go, well, at least I walked three miles today. <laughs> right. That's something. Nice. That's true. Didn't get any work done, but look at my Fitbit. Yes. <laughs> and then a fourth uh, thought is another do, and that's do bring your own food. We work in an environment where there's a lot of free food, um, and we have a lot of what I call the evil donut bringers, people who think they're being nice by bringing food, but they're actually sabotaging the entire office. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is a very controversial subject. I'm always it getting is? yes. A lot of people are like, "You're so unfun. People want to bring food. Like, who are you?" to say that's bad. But um, I have found that if I just bring my own food and only eat my own food, then the other stuff isn't so tempting. All right. So we're going to be the judge of how unfun you are. What do you bring is the question. <laughs> I bring, oh, this is unfun. I bring <laughs> is it quinoa? a lot of Jenny oh, Craig lunches. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, I've done that. My final tip is be your own agent. The truth is no one cares about your career as much as you do. And so you've really got to be your best representative. You can't expect someone else to speak up for you at work or to fight for you for that raise or that promotion. You need to be the person who's directing where you go. I think a lot of people sit at their desk, toil away, do excellent work and think any day now someone's going to come into my cubicle and reward me for all of this. But they really have no idea what you're doing. And if you don't speak up, uh, they will never know. That's great advice. Yeah, that's why I love this podcast, by the way, because I feel like you guys give those tools to people to, you know, move forward on their own. We hope so. That's why my personal hashtag is stay noisy. (laughs) 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 We're all about the speaking up. Liz Craft, thank you so much for joining us on I Hate My Boss. We are already happier at work, aren't we, Larry? We are. Liz, it was great to meet you. Thank you. Great to meet you guys. Thank you. Liz Craft has a new young adult novel out. It's called Flower, and it's available on Audible. You can get it for free with a 30-day trial membership by going to audible.com slash boss. That's audible.com slash boss. Okay, time for some more from Pen and Pencil. When we last left off, Ivan was working through his biases, but it doesn't seem like the rest of the guys have made much progress. How long are we waiting for the boys? There will be no boys here. Keep the blinds drawn. Oh, special occasion? Are we finally starting a fight club? Much more empowering than that. Over the past week, I've read two Malcolm Gladwell books, and I watched 57 TED Talks, and now I think I can solve sexism in the workplace. Wait, uh, totally solve it? There's a lot of casual sexism in the office that we've just learned to accept. I know, that's right. I spoke with HR, but they wanted to make everyone read a binder. Instead, I bought bells for every female employee. Whenever you endure a sexist comment or behavior, ring the bell. That's literally every minute for me. This will be the wake-up call our office needs. By making the men figure out why the bells are ringing, we're opening their minds to considering our feelings. Do we get a chance to think this experiment over? Oh, no. The bells are happening. 
Participation in the sisterhood is compulsory. So we must do this. Use the bell. The bell is our ally. Jess, you have a second? What's up? Um, how do you feel about Lisa's bell thing? Honestly, I tend to shoot straight anyway, so if anything, the bell might save time. You're a boss, though. I mean, what do you think? Uh, it's complicated. You go through school and climb the ladder and you hope that being a woman doesn't matter, but it does. At the same time, I don't want to be a squealer. But I also don't want to be a bad feminist. Hey, I want my feminists like my traffic. Intersectional. But I'm also about ladies getting that paper by whatever means. And if it's a disaster, it was Lisa's idea, so no harm done. Yeah, we were just following orders. Whoa, just don't take that logic too far. Oh, this is one of the many reasons why you're here. Let's do this? Yep. Absolutely. As fans of Tom and Barry's ourselves, we're happy to. The spot was just the tip of the ice cream berg. <laughs> Can't wait to work on more. Yes, talk soon. Take care. Ah, Stacy. A bright ray of sunshine in this weary world. Hello, Ivan. You barged in at the right time because I just got off the phone with Tom and Barry's New Hampshire Fine Creams. They love the ice cream spot. Of course they did. They always love my ideas. That's not true. Hey, weren't you celebrating, Stacy? This is good news, but you must be in a bad mood. If you'd only smile more. Ooh, what's this bell? Is it a game? I just have to know. I've got another call. Time for some afternoon coffee, eh, Stacy? Oh, hi, Chuck. Caffeine gives me heartburn, so my wife makes me drink decaf. Well, it's about the ritual, right? Sure. Speaking of rituals... It's almost my anniversary. That's nice. I bought her an expensive bottle of wine, but I can't have any, because drinking makes it hard for me to close out the night with the hits. Oh. If you know what I mean. Oh, no, I didn't need to know that. It's tough to keep the romance alive when you have kids. Say, you're a career woman and everything, but don't you ever worry you've, you know, missed your window? Damn it, Chuck, really? What was that? You're not sensitive about this topic, are you? Ooh, a puzzle. I love puzzles. Does one ring mean yes or no? Gotta take this to my desk. Bye, Chuck. But what about the puzzle? Billion dollar idea. Boxes of paper that don't weigh a ton. Jessica, have I told you that your figure is stunning in that dress today? I've not seen such ample assets since I helped build that hospital in Haiti. Wow, Ivan. Like, almost half of that statement was honorable. Oh, I agree, my sweet Jessica. Talk to the bell, Ivan. Thanks for seeing me, Lisa. Stacy, I'm hearing bells, and it is delightful. How's it going for you? How great does it feel on a scale of 10 to 10? I'm not going to lie. It does feel good to have some method of saying something without saying something. But are they learning anything? Well, men need an extremely complex and deep-seated societal problem reduced to one annoying sound. Um, isn't that a little reductive? Fair point. This one's on me. Hey, Jess. Did I really just hear Ivan talk about your assets? <laughs> you know it. That's Ivan. Hey, also, what's up with you ladies and the bells? I I'll explain on the way to coffee. You coming? Can't. These bells are messing up my flow, and I'm way behind on these Jamba Juice tags. But grab me a cold brew. Okay? Uh, sure. Whatever. Oh, and a turkey sandwich if you're going by the deli. Ugh.
Stacy, have you a small moment? Uh, sure, Ivan. Sweetie, you are my eyes and my ears. Or so I thought. What's this nonsense? I could ask you the same thing basically all the time. Ah, don't worry. You can tell me. This is one of Lisa's pots during social experiments, isn't it? Ah, oh, she's so bossy. Well, she's literally the boss. How do you not see that? Hmm, <laughs> I get that a lot. But honestly, I'd rather ring your bells, so to speak. I, I, I gotta go make a call. But this is your office. I know. Chuck, listen, I don't like you and you don't like me, but we have to work together. You don't like me? what I miss? I, uh, only meant that for dramatic effect. You're the COO, so you must know what this bell ringing is all about, yes? I thought you knew what it was about. One of your creative idea-making things. It's called ideation, and it's not to be toyed with. Ivan, I don't know why or how those bells got here, but I feel manipulated somehow. It's as if someone wants me to think about why they're here and what they mean. Diabolical. Yeah, I don't have time for this. Then it's settled. We shall destroy these instruments of distraction tonight. Good morning, Jessica. What has you here so early? Well, I came extra early just to ring some bells at Chuck, but they're all gone. What? Unacceptable. Those bells were the sound of progress. Shoot, tell me about it. I realized that some people who I thought were allies still see us women as minions, but not the funny kind. Oh, I know. It's like even at the top it doesn't end. Oh, wait, it's Jonathan. Hi, Jonathan. Actually, it's Dee. How are you? Not now, Dee. My bells are gone. Hey, is it sexist to diss Dee like that? It's not because she's a woman. It's because she's horrible. Ooh, damn. Send the men to my office the moment they get here. Aye-aye, Captain. Not gonna lie. I want to see that meeting. Chuck, Ivan, Matt, hello. Hi. Hey. Do you have any idea as to why I've asked you in here? Is it about those bells everywhere? Ding, 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 ding. Any guesses as to why? Fine, I'll spill. We live in a sexist culture, and no office is an exception to that. I wanted to give the female employees of Pen and Pencil the opportunity to tell their male cohorts that you have been inappropriate without needing to spell it out for you. And sadly, that opportunity was short-lived as the bells are gone. But Lisa, I've been exemplary. Ivan, according to Stacy, the bells rang the most whenever you were around. What? I can't believe I'm hearing this. I feel violated. Where's my bell, huh? Uh, Ivan, you should maybe stop. Fellas, I'm not even going to get into who took the bells, because that's pretty clear. What I want is an open dialogue. Okay, I'll start. I don't like how this feels. And as creative director, I deal in feelings. How am I supposed to do my feeling dealings if my feelings are being toyed with? Maybe you should ask Stacy, who has to deal with our clients' feelings every day. Now, I'm sending you links to 57 fantastic TED Talks. Ugh. This open dialogue is over. Now get out. Hey, Jess, got a minute? What? Look, Lisa told me what the bells were for. I was out of line yesterday. I was being dumb. Mm-hmm. I'm glad you know you're dumb, but still not sure if I forgive you. Okay, well... What if I buy you coffee? Mm, All week? Mm, I don't know. And breakfast? Ding, ding, ding! Who's a friend again? Hey, Matt's a friend again! Ha <laughs> ha! 
Breakfast solves everything! All right, Stacy. I just left Lisa's office. Oh, brother, Ivan. You stole the bells, didn't you? It's complicated. So, Chuck helped? Okay, maybe it's not so complicated. Why are you here? I'm truly, madly, deeply sorry, my dear Stacy. Here, I found a bell for you. Feel free to use it whenever you like. What? Go ahead, ring it. Let me have it. I know I deserve it. Well, okay. This is for your baseline machismo. This is for all my ideas you've taken credit for. <laughs> and these are for all the times you charm your way out of client meetings and put all the responsibility on me. Huh? And that was because I have to work twice as hard to get half as far while my coworkers tell me to smile and ask how I'm going to balance work and having babies and I'm sick of it. Well, just... Uh... And that was just for the hell of it. What sort of sexist tsunami is happening in here? Ivan will fill you in. I'm taking the day off. Some crazies going on here at, at Pen and Pencil. I'm thinking maybe the bell system at Quicksilver during board meetings would have been extremely helpful there. <laughs> As I think back on my professional experience, bells could be much more effectively used in the workplace. They use bells to keep all kinds of things in line, right? They put them on dogs, they put them on cats, they put them on sheep. We could put them on managers. You know, what's so funny about the bells, it does kind of point out the kind of automatic and common this stuff is, it's sort of everything I put in bucket number one. Yeah. Just the routine annoyances. If you really, like, attached a sound to all of those things, you would hear that sound a lot. I think I cringe thinking about how much and how many of those might come out of my own mouth since I took those unconscious bias tests and I realize I don't see myself nearly as clearly as I thought I did. I don't think anybody does. Like my fellow board members at Quicksilver, when I challenged them one-on-one, -on -one, like, how did you let this go in a meeting when they said, let's leave Liz mm -hmm. out? How did you let that go? They were like, you know, I don't know. I honestly, it just never dawned on me that you would feel this way. So it's wow. not it's not that people are bad. It's so much of our behavior. Right. We're in the default mode. And these are powerful, smart, accomplished people who are not afraid of speaking up. And yet it didn't occur to him to speak up. So when Lisa tries this gimmick, <laughs> I mean, it's it's an insane gimmick. But I appreciate the spirit of just could we all be a little bit more conscious of how much of this is happening? Awareness, I think, is just huge for changing any behavior, whether you're trying to change a habit or whether you've got something more broad like this in the workplace. I think it'd be fabulous. This is a good use for artificial intelligence. We can, <laughs> what do you mean? We'll, we'll have this. Every time one of these biases shows up, off the sound goes. It would be awful. That would be an awful way to work. <laughs> In the various people that you coach, does this as an issue ever come up from either women or men about dealing with it and whether it's their own biases or what they're observing in their workplace? Sure. So the one I run into the most often is is gender, not only with the women that I work with, but also with the men. Most people tend to be conscious of it these days, but it's for sure rampant. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the hardest things is when something happens, as we've often said, you don't always catch it in the moment. And then the question is, should I come back to it? Did you miss your window to address something? Can you go back and have the conversation? And I think the answer is often, if it's important to you, you should go back. Open that window back up and say what you need to say. Yeah. When Stacy says she's torn between being a squealer and a bad feminist. Right. That is, I mean, we all have an obligation not just to speak for ourselves. I can obviously stay noisy on my own behalf. But I have felt throughout most of my career 
a need to be noisy on behalf of other people. So here's another thing that used to worry me. When you're always the one in a meeting, when you're, one, say, one of the few women in the room, so you're the one saying, hey, wait, you can't say that, or what, you just said she can't be a candidate for that job because she has kids? You can't do that. Once you've played that card like a few hundred times, yeah. then you start to worry about your own reputation as, well, she only cares about one thing. Well, and people do get labeled, right? They get labeled by what they choose to pay attention to, what they choose to bring up, what they choose to focus on. You get people who are like, oh, gosh, they're going to bring up the issue of customer satisfaction or they're going to bring up quality or yeah. they're going to bring up you were insensitive or you said that wrong and that was difficult and that creates a barrier. You know, one thing that Liz Kraft said when we were talking to her is another thing that you hear a lot of discussion about in the workplace, which is women can't work with each other. Mm-hmm. And I know we talked about that with Liz, but yeah. I just want to reinforce that a little bit because it came up with Lisa and Dee here, too, where like, oh, they're, look at them just being catty with each other. Mm-hmm. And I really have to say, not because I'm Pollyanna, I've had very little of that in my career. I can understand how back in the day, like if you're talking about the 50s and the 60s, and there would occasionally be one token woman on the team or one token woman right. in leadership, that there was a tendency because everybody understood there's only one slot, right? Mm-hmm. So that created a sense of competitiveness between the women that thankfully does not exist in most environments now because we are not either explicitly or implicitly saying, okay, you're the one. If you're the one, then you walk in, you take the seat at the table, but you're closing the door. The good news is that does not happen as much anymore. I also got to say, like, this is not something that where, like, women are good and men are bad and we just have to work this out. You guys just have to learn to. It is just being conscious of how you're making decisions and why you're making them. You know, when I wrote that piece for Fortune magazine and I chalked up the whole Quicksilver debacle to unconscious bias, I actually felt like I was doing them a favor because to me it wasn't unconscious at all. I thought I was like cutting them a little bit of slack by Mm -hmm. saying, ooh, it's probably unconscious. Because I don't honestly believe it was. I believe that they talked about it and decided to leave me out. How much more conscious do you have to get? It's real, right? Ivan makes a pass at Stacy in the office. What are you thinking? Are you thinking that that people are going to be flattered because you do that? That's got to be the only reason you do it, or you have the emotional self-control of a four-year-old. What are people thinking when they do stuff like that? I don't know, Larry. <laughs> you know, making comments about a woman's looks, just never do it. I, that's a never for me. It's not like you have to figure out when it's right, when it's wrong. Let me ask you this one. So as you said that, my my first reaction was, so I shouldn't say, hey, you look great this morning. Well, Don't do it. I mean, does that is that does that go across the line? I mean, obviously, there's nothing wrong with you saying that. Sure. But why are you saying that? Why are you yeah, commenting well, on that? But I looks? guess that's my question, Would, right? Do women say that to you? Yes, they do. Okay, well, that's that, you, Larry. <laughs> then that's on you. That's on you. No, <laughs> I, but just, I, mean, that's I really the can't imagine whenever I've, I've ever walked into an office and commented on a man's looks. Yeah. I'm sure once or twice in my career, yeah. if he's had on a crazy shirt like the one you have on today, I would comment. Thank you, (laughs) which is why I wear them. But, you know, really, like, women do not routinely comment on men's looks. No, I think that's for sure true. Yeah, I suggest you return the favor. Yeah. It brought up the immediate question of, huh, do I do that? And then I was thinking, do I do it to everybody? And I think I do because I pay attention to clothes and I comment on people's shoes and their socks and their shirts. But It's just when something is 
almost always going the other way. Yeah. Like, that's just something that should be a red flag for you. Like, why are we talking about how she looks anyway? If you want to come in and say, hey, Liz, fantastic job on that presentation yeah. yesterday. Or, my God, I saw your sales numbers. That's what I would like you to say to me, Larry. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I would just say, like, if you want to give someone positive reinforcement in a workplace, I would focus on making it work-related. Yep. You know. That sounds. Like, you don't have to go find some other thing. Right. Exactly. You know. And if you're friends and outside of work, of course, like, I'm not trying to b- draw boundaries in what you're allowed to talk yeah. about and what you're not allowed to talk about. But everybody loves positive feedback. But in the workplace, let's focus on work. If you have a workplace problem you need help with, send it our way. We're here to help. You can email us. We're IHateMyBoss at Wondery.com. We're also on Twitter and Facebook at IHateMyBossShow. And, of course, you can always call us. We're at 424-224-5711. We want to know what you think of the show, so please leave us a review at Apple Podcasts. Go to our show page, click Reviews, then write a review. If you're not in the mood for writing, you can just give us the five stars. We'll take it. This episode was hosted by me, Larry Seal, CEO and founder of Engage Leadership, and Liz Dolan, boss emeritus and satellite sister. The comedy segment was written by Amanda Meadows, directed by Drew DeFonso Marks. Ivan was played by Eddie Santiago, Stacy by Karen Bond, Lisa by Julie Brister, Jessica by Ego Wodim, Matt by Justin Michael, Chuck by Spike Spencer, Jonathan by Jim Meskman, Dee by Stephanie Shea. The original theme song was composed by Martin Blanco. Audio engineering and design by Misha Stanton. Special consultant, Julia Smith. Produced by Cerise Castle. Executive producer, Jeffrey Glazer. Created and executive produced by Hernan Lopez for Wondery. Remember, workplaces can feel crazy. But you don't have to. 